give. Just want to remind you again that we are um, preparing for a new sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. And so the way that we've been doing that is we've been um, looking at how to sort of bridge that gap between the Old and the New Testaments. Because we just finished a few weeks ago our study of Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament. And we saw that he was the last prophet of the Old Testament, but then proclaiming in his very short letter, in his short uh, words, proclaiming that there would be a prophet to come, one that would come to prepare the way, a messenger. We knew that that to be John the Baptist. And then, of course, the messenger of the covenant coming to bring a new covenant, and that is the Lord Jesus himself. And so we bridge that gap between the prophet Malachi and then, as we open the pages of Mark, it will be the prophet um, John the Baptist, and then leading the way to the final prophet, Jesus Christ himself. We don't always think of Jesus as prophet, but it's often said that he is prophet, priest, and king. He fulfills all three of those roles. But this morning, we're actually going to look at him as um, prophet in what he taught about himself being the king. And so our topic for this morning is simply that it is the kingdom. Perhaps you've even wondered that before. What is the kingdom? What does it mean when we say the kingdom or the kingdom of God? Jesus preached it. John the Baptist preached it. In fact, the idea of the kingdom of God is one of the main underlying themes of all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Now, perhaps it might be uh, hard for us to connect with that, and so we don't give it enough emphasis as we should, because we don't live in a kingdom, right? There is the United Kingdom, our friends across the water there, right? Now, we are not in a kingdom. We don't have a king that sits on a throne, but they have the king and the queen and princes and princesses and all that. So that might be a little easier for them to sort of understand that, that picture and that idea of kingdom, but it's maybe a little bit harder for us to do that. But throughout Scripture, we see God establishing and ruling over a kingdom. And you know, I was reminded of this um, it's about a week or so ago. Many of you know that my family and I, we just moved, and uh, we moved to... Uh, another local town here, Point Pleasant Beach, and so it's been a great blessing, but you know, with any move, it comes a lot of stress, right? But um, uh, it was such a blessing the way everything worked out, and God is so good the way he orchestrated it. But something funny happened on the actual day uh, of the move. It was a Saturday, and so there was a bunch of people, some friends, a lot of people from church or whatever and others, and we were gathered at the old place, and I was there, and Claudia was at the new place, and and so I'm there at the old place sort of trying to, to manage and orchestrate everything as people came with their cars and pickup trucks and loading everything. And so there was a point in the morning where a few people had come back with their cars and a pickup truck and backed it in, and, and they were kind of parking on the street as well, and they were walking down our driveway. There's about five or six people, whom I all knew, of course, and coming down. And here was this other guy who I didn't quite recognize at first, and he was walking with them down our driveway. And so, you know, when you're in the, in the busyness of everything, you're not quite thinking through and having the right perspective. And so here he comes walking. And so my first assumption was 
he was a friend of one of the, you know, our friends that is, he just, maybe they invited him out to come help us move. I thought this was great. And so he's walking down sort of talking with everybody else. And so I just introduced myself. Hey, how you doing? He said, good. And I said, hey, thanks for coming today. And he said, yeah, good. And he's looking around and I said, um, yeah, it's, it's really nice of you, you know. And he goes, yeah. And, and then he's looking around and he says, uh, looks like everything's just about gone. And I said, yeah, we've been doing great, but I'm, I'm glad you were here. You know, and so, so far I think it's going pretty good. And then, you know, and I'm thinking, I don't see anybody introducing me to him. Like this is my friend John or something. So then finally he says, um, so I guess this isn't an estate sale. And I said, uh, I said, so then, of course, the light bulb, you know, took a while. And I started kind of laugh. I said, no, no. I said, actually, you know, if you would have come a little earlier, maybe we should have sold you some of our stuff and made it easier. But uh, so then he felt really awkward. And I was, it felt a little awkward, you know. And a couple of the guys were sort of watching, kind of laughing, like, okay, letting me go through this, you know. And so, so then he just kind of walked back to his car. And then I recognized there was a lot of traffic on our street. Because it was a Saturday morning, there must have been garage sales and yard sales in the area, and people were driving by. You know, they slowed down and they looked because they saw all the activity. So this guy had gotten out of his pickup truck and he came down and just followed the crowd, right, right down. And so, um, so well, well, that was awesome. You know, just it was like okay, um, just kind of weird, but uh, but you know, I was kind of thinking, man, this guy was a little out of context, right? And uh, just a little lost, and, and kind of you lose perspective when you think you're in the right place, but you're not. And so in a way, that translates to what we're talking about this morning, sort of a big picture way in that when we read any portion of Scripture, it's important that we read it in context. You've probably heard that many times, and it's so true, because we never want to take the Word of God out of context, Right? Which simply means, and it's very easy to do, unfortunately, it simply means we don't want to take, let's say, a verse of Scripture, take it out of the paragraph that it's in, the chapter it's in, the book it's in, the place in the Bible. We don't want to take it out of all that, because then we can pretty much make it say whatever we want it to say. All right? We don't want to do that, because we want God's Word to say what He means it to say, because it's His Word. Right? And we want to hold that in high esteem. And so therefore... It's important when we read anything in Scripture to make sure we know the context within which it's written or being said. And so the same is true, especially when we uh, prepare to read about the life and teachings of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as we look to begin a, a study in the Gospel of Mark in a few weeks in June, we need to understand this as well, that when Jesus says things, when he teaches his disciples, and we know it is for us as well, that we can glean from that, that is God's word applicable to us, that we are to take it in context. And I think that one of the principles or one of the underlying themes and bigger picture, bigger picture issues of all of scripture is the kingdom, and it is so often misunderstood because it is taken out of context. Now sometimes we can do that. There's no harm, no foul. But we need to be careful because you know there's always that domino effect, right? If you misinterpret one thing, then it'll lead to misinterpreting other things in Scripture. And then therefore, then what leads to is some bad theology. 
And we want to avoid that at all costs. And so this morning, I want to talk simply about this idea of the kingdom. And here's why. Because Jesus preached the kingdom. John the Baptist preached in preparation for Jesus coming the kingdom. Jesus, we have four main sort of sermons or discourses by Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. We have the parables about the kingdom. We have the Olivet Discourse to some other disciples and, of course, the Upper Room Dialogue with his disciples the night before he's betrayed. There's other, we know there's other words and teachings of Jesus, but these four main um, you know, messages of Jesus, so much of it is about the kingdom. Even in Matthew 13, there's all these parables. Do you ever read them? And they start off by saying, the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. We don't want to skip over that. right? And so we need to know in context, what is Jesus talking about? So what I want to do this morning, very simply, it's, it can be a complex issue, but we're going to try to make it as simple as possible, because that helps me. I try to keep things very simple. right? And um, so we're going to look at what it means to say the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom. And what does it mean for us? Of course, we want to end with um, this an idea of application to us as the church, as Christians and believers. right? And so, um, why do we need to understand the kingdom? Because Jesus and John the Baptist both, both preached the kingdom. They were both prophets. We know that prophets had a message, right? If you look back in the Old Testament, just like we did with Malachi, every prophet was called by God to bring a message from God to the people, right? And so John the Baptist was no different. He came to give the message of repentance for the kingdom is at hand, right? And preparing the way for Jesus. Now Jesus also, filling the role of prophet, also preached the same thing. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom is at hand. So we don't want to gloss over that and say, well, okay, well, I think we know what he's talking about. Because it is so critical we understand what he means about the kingdom in light of all of Scripture, because even we know as we study Malachi, the Old Testament is leading up to and speaking all about Lord Jesus, right? Because the people of Israel were long awaiting their king, right? Their Messiah to come establish what? A kingdom. A kingdom for Israel once again to rule over all the nations, to be a light in the world and that the Messiah would rule and reign on the throne of David, right? From Jerusalem over their kingdom. It is what the people of Israel had waited and longed for all that time. Even when we studied Malachi, we saw they had been out of exile for a hundred years. They were looking forward to the Messiah, the King coming. Where is He? Then there's silence for 400 years. We're going to cover that in a few weeks as well. What happens during that intertestamental time? We see that they were waiting for a kingdom to be established. Jesus Christ comes on the scene. The one promised all the way back, we'll see from Genesis chapter 3. Promised to come and be the conquering king. But Israel did not recognize him. And so in that rejection, things started to happen. But yet what we'll see is that the kingdom is still at hand. Right? So, um, 
I'd like us to look at Luke 1, 26-33. There's going to be a lot of Scripture this morning, and so it'll all be up on the screen for you. Uh, but also, if you like, you can turn in your Bibles to it. We'll be flipping around some this morning. But Luke 1, 26-33. Because I'd like to give some Scripture, again, for context of what it means for the kingdom. Okay? So we're sort of building a case. You know the way a lawyer would build a case with evidence? It's kind of what we're doing. We're always wanting to use God's Word as evidence. So, all about the kingdom. Okay? Luke 1, 26-33. It's a familiar passage. We read it a lot at Christmas time, right? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. That's important. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And so the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom, there will be no end. Even before the birth of Jesus, God announces to the angel Gabriel, to Mary, that she will give birth to a king. A king who will sit on a throne and rule over a kingdom. Isn't that awesome? Let us always remember in context who Jesus is. He is prophet, priest, but also king. John the Baptist said in Matthew 3, 1-2, In those days John the Baptist came uh, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We also know in Matthew 4, Jesus says it Himself. It says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, they both said it. Well, let's first back up and say, what is a kingdom? There's some things that need to be uh, present for there to be a kingdom. Think about a kingdom maybe that you've seen in movies. Okay, um, there was a, a, a cool movie made years ago called The Kingdom of Heaven. Lots of movies about this idea of kingdom and kings and queens, right? We're all familiar with that picture. So a kingdom, first of all, needs to have a king or a ruler, right? But there also has to be a realm. I mean, what kind of king would you be if you didn't have a realm to rule over? You could say that you're king, but you're king of what? Uh, kind of this circle right here, Okay. Well, here's your realm. So for a kingdom to be in existence, there has to be a king. And there has to be a realm, like an earthly realm, that they rule over. But there also needs to be citizens. What good would a king be if he had all this land and this realm, and he had a throne and a castle, but he was the only one there? See, so a kingdom is going to have a king, someone to rule over them. uh, Citizens, someone to rule over them. And also, a realm. Makes sense, right? But in light of God's kingdom, we want to look at it in two ways. There is the universal kingdom, God's universal kingdom, in which He rules over everything, the whole universe. 
He always has and he always will. That's important, okay? So big level here, big picture. We're saying the universal kingdom is God always ruling over everyone and everything for all time throughout the whole universe, okay? But then there's specific aspects of that universal kingdom. The other one is this. The other one we really focus on today is what's called the theocratic system, or a theocracy is simply this. We know what a democracy is, right? But a theocracy is when God rules over his realm, it's the earthly realm we see in Scripture, through a representative. Now, this is really important. So again, we have the universal kingdom where God directly rules and reigns forever and forever. That's the universe. But then the earthly realm of his kingdom, we say, is a theocratic realm, or a theocratic kingdom, a theocracy, which simply means this. God's still ruling, but through a representative in this realm on earth. Does that make sense? So we have the universal kingdom, then we have the theocratic kingdom. The theocratic kingdom is not throughout the whole universe, it's just here on earth through a representative. And you'll see how this unfolds in just a minute. So it's important we see these two distinctions in God's kingdom. All right. So the kingdom throughout all of Scripture, we see is really represented in these two ways. Now you can break it down a little bit further, but in interest of time and just keeping it simple, we want to look at the universal kingdom, always in existence and God ruling no matter what, and then the theocratic kingdom where God sets up a representative on earth right, to rule and to represent Him as God the Father and Creator. So, from the beginning of time, there has been this universal kingdom. There always has been, there always will be. But, you remember, way back in Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth, the plants, the animals. Did He not also create mankind? Right? In His image, He created. He said, man and woman, in His image, He created them. To give dominion. He said He gave them dominion over. Now, what does a king have in His kingdom? Dominion. Right? To do what? To rule over. So Adam, being the first man, the first one God created, really was the ruler over the first theocratic kingdom. See, God had placed Adam in the garden on this earth to rule, right? To rule over the earth with Eve and then all their descendants. That was the way God set it up. It was all perfect. In this theocracy where God sent a representative to rule. And that was Adam. Okay, It's important. Put a, a pinpoint in that. So then something happens. What happens in our story? Sin enters the situation. Right? Because there is an enemy. There is good and evil. There is God. There is Satan. Devil. The enemy. And what does he come to do? He comes... To snatch dominion, to snatch rule and authority out of the hands of God's representative, Adam, and take it for himself. It is like in all the movies and stories we've seen, where there is two kingdoms at war. There is one that comes to try to overthrow and conquer the one kingdom. We see that Satan does that. Because he tempts Adam and Eve, Adam being the, God's representative, right? having dominion over the realm of God's theocratic kingdom. But we see back in Genesis 1, it is lost to now be ruled by Satan. That's really important because that has so much application for us today. 
See, God lost His representative on earth of His kingdom because Adam basically, in sinning and disobedience, he abdicated his throne. You know what that means to abdicate? If any of you watch that show, The Crown, on Netflix, it's a great show. It's really just sort of like a, a, a docudrama, a biography of Queen Elizabeth in her early years. And it teaches so much history. And it talks about her uncle, right, who abdicated the throne because he fell in love. And it's that whole story. He, he couldn't continue to be king. And so he gave it over to his brother that was Queen Elizabeth's um, father. And so she then was the next in line. So when he died, she became at an early age queen. But basically, that king had abdicated his throne. I give up rule and reign. That's basically what happened with Adam. Because he decided to go his own way. They decided to sin and be disobedient to God. And so therefore, what happened was, God's theocracy was lost. Because his representative in Adam had given up that authority. So who now has taken the authority? It is Satan. The enemy has taken that authority. So ever since what we call the fall, Satan has usurped the rule of this world. Okay? Satan's rule has been over this world system since then. Jesus called Satan the prince of this world. Satan offered this rule of this realm to Jesus in the desert temptation. Remember that? It was part of his temptation to Jesus because because Satan has that authority, in a sense, to do that, he's saying, I'll give you the, the rule and reign over all these kingdoms of the earth when he was trying to tempt Jesus. Right? Paul, the Apostle Paul, called Satan the God of this age. James says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Peter, the Apostle Peter, Peter he calls us as Christians sojourners, foreigners and exiles in this world. See, this is not our kingdom. For we are citizens of a different kingdom. We are citizens of heaven. See, we live and exist in this kingdom. But we need to remember, and here's a big part of that application for understanding the kingdom, that someone else is at the helm of this world system. When we throw around that word, the world, Oh, the world is so hard. The world is out to get us. Don't be in the world. We're really talking about the realm of this earthly kingdom that Satan now rules, as Jesus said, the prince of this world, the God of this age, but not forever. So we get to that hope. Jesus even says, we are not of this world. John 17, 14-18, I have given them your word. Jesus is saying this to the Father. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. See, Jesus is talking to the Father about us, the church. Get that? So he says, they are, in verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So he's talking to the Father about the church. So he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You get that picture? Jesus is talking to the Father about the church. And He's saying, look, I've sent them into the world. And I'm not asking you to um, take them out of the world, but that you just keep them from the evil one. 
So what does that mean? It means that we are in this kingdom, which is now ruled in a sense, this supposed to be theocracy is in a sense a Satanocracy, if you want to put it that way. We don't like to, you know, to do that and give him so much credit or power. We're not. But what we're saying is we need to recognize the teachings of Jesus and the apostles that remind us okay, that we are in, as it said, enemy territory. You understand that? And I mean, you know, we can recognize it throughout the day and we can see the way things might happen, the way we're tempted. You can see what's going on. And so Jesus even said it, telling the Father, Father, look, this is, my, this is your people, the church, and I'm, I'm going to die for them. And I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but just protect them from the evil one who is now temporarily ruling over this world system. Okay? But yet, again, going back to perspective, God still rules over His universal kingdom as always. So just because the enemy currently has taken over rule of this earthly system, this world system, it does not mean that God is not in charge. We say amen to that. Because His universal kingdom is always in effect where He rules and reigns. It's just this earthly kingdom. He set it up to be a theocracy where Adam would rule as his representative, but unfortunately that was lost way back in the garden. Okay. However, and here's the big however, God in His supreme authority promised immediately after Adam had abdicated his rule that God, he said, would one day defeat the enemy and restore the theocracy. This is where context about the kingdom comes into play. He would once again restore his theocratic kingdom rule over the earth by appointing a representative who is the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, to rule over the earth as... The last Adam. See that? We know from the New Testament that Jesus is called that last Adam. Why? Because God set up Adam to be His representative. He lost it. But God promised one day He would claim victory over the enemy who has temporarily taken control. He would do it by once again sending a representative of Himself, to be the ruler and the one to reign over an earthly kingdom. See, that was God's plan. God's not going to deviate from that plan. Here's some Scriptures. I'm going to read through them quickly as we put it in context. Genesis 3.15. Here is that promise right away, right after the fall. God says, He's talking to Satan now, the enemy, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. See, Satan might think that he won. But Jesus is the one who crushes and bruises his head. There right away is a promise that God will send a Redeemer, a Messiah, the one to come and rescue his people. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. We read this during Christmas all the time. For for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace there will be no end. Now look. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness 
from this time forth and evermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord will do it because God will put it into effect because He's going to send that promised Messiah. And this is prophesied about in Isaiah 9. That's why we read it during Christmas time, during the birth of Jesus, the one who is to be king. Daniel 7, part of Daniel's vision of the future kingdom. Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him. This is picturing Jesus before God the Father. To Him, meaning the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and what? A kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So what does that mean? If right now we know that Satan is the one who usurped control and authority of this world kingdom, God has promised that there would be a kingdom for His representative one day in the future. Jesus, it says, came to overthrow Satan. 1 John 3.8 Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning But look at this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You see? Do you see God's plan? God's plan was perfect and He had Adam set up in the garden. And that was what we call His theocracy. See? Everything was perfect. But then Adam abdicated His throne, so to speak. And Satan took away authority. And is now the ruler of this world, the God of this age, we are told. But God promised right away Right through the seed of woman we know to be Mary, that there would be then the promised Messiah, the one to come and be the representative to once again establish the kingdom on earth. So we continue. Jesus says of Himself, Matthew twenty-five thirty-one, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, He's talking about Himself, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. That's Jesus Talking about the future when He returns, see? When He comes in His glory. Even Paul says of Christ in the future kingdom in 1 Corinthians 15, but in fact, and just I'll read it quickly, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's talking about the resurrection. The firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that means Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus, see? For as in Adam all die... So also in Christ, all shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Then it is coming at His coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When He, meaning Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. And that last enemy to be destroyed is death. What a great picture of the end times to come. Again, we know Christ. We are looking forward as a church for Christ to return, what we might call the rapture. We meet Him in the air. At any moment, He could come back for us to reclaim His church, His bride, right? And then we are brought with Him. No more to live in this kingdom. We say hallelujah to that. That's our great hope as a church. Then there is that terrible time of tribulation, but after that time... Christ returns. That's His second coming, His second advent. When He comes after that time of tribulation, 
what does he do at that time? He comes as judge, but he comes then, listen, to set up his kingdom. To set up his kingdom. And we as his church will rule and reign with him. See, that's the promise. So we keep this idea of the kingdom all in perspective and recognizing God had set it up. There is currently, right? There is currently an element of the kingdom, a spiritual element in existence because we know Jesus taught about the kingdom. Even in those parables in Matthew 13 when he talks about the kingdom, he's telling his disciples right after right after the Jewish religious leaders had accused him of blasphemy, if you remember that, I think it was in Matthew 12, they had said, oh, Jesus is teaching from the power of who? Of Satan. So that was basically the last straw. Jesus knew that the nation of Israel as a whole would reject him. He called it the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. The one thing that would not be forgiven because not accepting Christ as Savior and Messiah, see? So then he then turns to his disciples and in Matthew 13 teaches through parables and says this is what the kingdom is like. He's talking about this time right now. The age of grace, the church age. Like yeah, there's an element of the kingdom. Spiritually we're connected. See that because we recognize we live in a spiritual kingdom. But this is not our home here. Because this is currently ruled over by who? The prince of this age. right? The god of this age. But not for long. So we end and we close this way. God's plan is to defeat His enemy. Restore that theocracy, that theocratic kingdom on this earth that He once had with Adam, but He's going to do it through Jesus Christ when He returns. See, He came in His first advent, Jesus did, to offer the long-awaited kingdom of Israel. That's why Jesus came on the scene saying, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Jesus came to offer that long-awaited kingdom. The people of Israel rejected Him. Even Jesus, as we remember on um, uh, Palm Sunday, what do, we, what do we celebrate that day? The triumphal entry of Jesus as who? As King. Entering Jerusalem. Finally being recognized, saying, it's okay now, they recognize Me as King. But just a few short days later, they rejected Him. And rejected the Kingdom at that time. So the Gospel goes out to all the Gentiles, In Jesus, salvation is offered to all who believe. His death and resurrection, His ascension, and then at Pentecost begins the church age we are in now. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. We always live in light of God's universal kingdom. Always in existence. But recognizing this earthly rule and reign of Messiah, Jesus Christ. That promise was unconditional, so it still has to be fulfilled. And that will be fulfilled when He comes to set up His, his uh, millennial reign, we call it. To set up His kingdom and reign here on earth, on the throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. It is then, at the end of that thousand years, we see that, that Satan who was bound for that thousand years, bound from ruling, he's ruling now, he is bound and Christ rules at the end of the thousand years. Christ releases him, defeats him at one last time, banishes him to the lake of fire. And then we see the new heavens, the new earth. And what happens? Jesus hands the kingdom over to the Father. He says, here you go. It's a beautiful picture. But what's the application for us? 
His return is our hope, but we need to be prepared. As believers, we are prepared. But you know what? There's lots of people in our lives, people that we pass every day that are not prepared. And so I think the biggest thing for us in recognizing the rule and reign of a king, the kingdom that was established, that has been lost, but will come again when Christ returns, that in light of all that, we need to be kingdom-minded people that we are living in light of that universal kingdom where God is always in control and always ruling. We look forward to reigning with Him in His earthly kingdom once again. But you know what? Don't we want to bring as many people as we can with us into that kingdom? And so, what are we to do? To be motivated to share our story of faith. To let others know about the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus came preaching the Kingdom. It was rejected. So the good news of what Jesus did on the cross for us, and being raised from the dead, all of that is good news for us, that we are offered now salvation in Christ and in Christ alone, by His act and work of grace, and not of our own work. So we believe that church, but then we are to live it, and then share it with our words, and to speak it. Let other people know that there is hope in this world that often seems so hopeless, but the only hope we have is in Jesus Christ. He came as a prophet preaching the kingdom. He also came as our great and serves as our great high priest, but he is also a king. A king who will return to reign on his throne once again to defeat the enemy. But we know, spiritually speaking, he has already defeated our enemy. Hallelujah to that, right? But once and for all, He will defeat any realm or influence of sin whatsoever. We look forward to that day. But until then, God has us here for a reason. As His church, we are to bring that good news of hope to the world. Let's remember that every day as we are thankful for how God has blessed us, the new life we have in Him. Let us then take that blessing and share it with others. As we learn about it, And as we grow in our faith, we are to go to serve others, first and foremost, by sharing the good news of the gospel. So as we spend just our last few minutes together, remembering the Lord around His table. You know, I say this often that as as the ancient church had gathered,